Hey, uh, we got lots to pray for this morning and pray about as we uh, as, as we go into this morning. We got three rivers people scattered all over the globe. We got some working in other people groups that'll be uh, gone for a couple of weeks, and uh, we got folks getting ready to engage our people group in a new uh, new part in the diaspora among that people group. And and we got students who will leave in the morning. I'll be with them. Joseph will be with them, and uh, my wife and Adam and Adam's driving and just. Uh, uh, students going to Snowbird. We got students who work at Snowbird and just three of us people doing work. And so let's pray for them right now. And so you join me in calling on the Lord for that and uh, and for this time. Okay, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, for your glory and our joy, we come into this place today, um, recognizing that we don't enter your presence. Um, we are the temple. And so uh, this morning we acknowledge your presence among us. So we entered in this building already in your presence and so we acknowledge you we recognize you are king and we are your subject so we bow the knee to you king jesus and we pray holy spirit that you would speak to us and open our hearts and our eyes that we may see and taste and know the glories of your word and the glories of your kingdom we pray for transformation in our hearts we pray that mobilization would take place. Lord of the harvest, that you would raise up workers for the local field and the global field. And that we'd be empowered to do that work. We pray for those that are scattered today from this body all over the face of this planet. We thank you for the opportunity to be a sender and a goer. We pray for their empowerment, for their health, for the advance of the kingdom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may you be glorified today. May we be upheld and may we see your glory, our faith be constructed in the kingdom advance as we find our satisfaction in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're talking about in the summertime. Summertime's a good time because we kind of shrink down to uh, to what we are. It's a good time to go back. And really, I'm sitting here thinking through, that's actually the bad time to do what we're doing. We need to be doing it when everybody's here. So I'm sitting here going, duh, dummy, think this through a little more. Uh, we talk about our core. We talk about who we are. We talk about our vision. We talk about the mission. We talk about the ethos, the DNA that drives who we are. I told you this story when, when I spoke on this last time. We try to revisit this twice a year at the uh, Winter uh, Fall Sports Award Banquet this past year. Uh, my oldest boy was uh, walking across the stage to get an award in football. And and uh, Dr. Whitehead sitting right behind me. And uh, Dr. Whitehead, is just kind of, he'd be kind of bold. And, uh, and, and he'll speak out loud and loudly. And he says, oh my gosh. That is the jolliest looking thing I've ever seen in my life. He walks like you. He's got ticks like you. That is very clearly your kid. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. And why? And, and he said, that DNA is thick. And I said, yes, sir. Apparently it is thick. DNA, deoxyribose nucleic acid, right? It drives function. We see that in our children, right? We see that DNA lived out. DNA is what drives an entity to act the way it acts. Do the things it does to be what it is. The kingdom of God has a DNA. The gospel has DNA. The church has DNA, spiritual DNA. And we want to make sure we identify that because that DNA drives our actions. It drives our behaviors. One of the reasons Three Rivers is what it is and acts the way it acts is because it's driven by kingdom DNA. We talk about our mission, the glory of God, and the building of the church, local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. And the ethos that drives that mission, the culture, is this culture of Kingdom Disciple Society Church, KDSC, Kingdom Disciple Society Church. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, the good news of the rule of Jesus Christ. 
And his coming, his dying, his rising, his ascending, and his current reign and rule, and expanding his kingdom, that good news makes disciples. It makes disciples. And today we're going to talk about disciple. But disciples scatter into domains of society. Society. And in those domains of society, disciples make other disciples. And inside those domains of society, the church springs forward as a manifestation of the rule of Jesus Christ. And so we're talking disciple. Next week we'll see how disciples infect domains of society and from there the church should multiply and grow. The gospel of the kingdom makes disciples. Right. Now, by the way, just let me say this. If you're visiting, we normally preach through books of the Bible. And I'm going to get to a text in a second, which is kind of revisiting. Right? We use the Bible. And so, but this is Bible-driven and laden. So just hang tight. We're going, to, we're going to get there, I promise. It's coming from the text. Okay? The gospel of the kingdom makes disciples. The good news of Jesus and his kingdom rule is very clear. I'm going to drop this on you. And by the way, there's purpose in this. This is on the blog. Go copy and paste this. Print it out. Memorize this. When you're talking the good news, when you're telling the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom rule, say it. You can use these words. They're, they're, they're just, just a summary of the Bible. Okay? You don't, you don't have to footnote them. Just say what I'm about to say to you, okay? So we can be reminded and we can know the good news of Jesus and His kingdom is this. Summed up in four words. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Right? Say it with me. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, there's one God who is the creator of all things, including man created in His image. This triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is holy, He's just, and He is the very definition of love. Fall. Though we were once in fellowship with this God, we're now cut off from Him because of the rebellion started by our parents in the garden. The root of that rebellion was their choice to not believe God and try and make themselves God instead. And this treasonous, horrible act filled The air with the curse, and it failed miserably. And the judgment was eternal death. The day you eat of it, you will die. Tragically, terribly, this rebellion is passed on from generation to generation as a curse. The curse of sin and brokenness and death and all things wrong and created order. We innately know things aren't right. Because of the curse. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, even the earth, the earth is groaning, longing for the revealing of the sons of God and its redemption. Even the dirt has been cursed. God told us this in Genesis 3, right? The dirt now, Adam, you have to work harder because the dirt is going to produce thorns rather than good fruit. So you have to work harder to achieve your Genesis 126 mission of subduing the earth. Even the dirt's broken. And all people inherit both the sin and the judgment. Our sin makes it impossible for us to earn our way back to the Father. But the story doesn't stop there. Redemption. Since we can't earn our way back to the Father, and we can't earn our way out of the curse, God the Father, being rich in mercy and rich in eternal purpose, began the work of redeeming us from the curse through revealing Himself to man who once knew Him face to face. 
the entire Bible, your whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, records and explains the culmination of that work of redemption in the coming of the ultimate missionary Jesus who would break the curse and redeem us back to the Father and establish His kingdom rule. Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived perfectly and revealed the Father clearly. And in the fullness of time, Jesus went to His appointed death on a Roman cross as the perfect sacrifice to ransom us back from the curse of the fall. Jesus paid the penalty of my sin and your sin, and He rose from the grave, He conquered death, and in rising from the grave, proving that everything He said and did was true and right. And so through Jesus' death and His resurrection, all those who repent and believe... Repent of the rebellion, believe in this good news, and follow Jesus, have their sin debt canceled. And the very perfection of Jesus accounted to them so that they're adopted as the Father's children. But this story doesn't even stop there. Restoration. All those who repent and believe are given a mission. Your life is full of purpose. If you've repented of the rebellion, believe this good news of the kingdom. You're given a mission to engage in taking this good news of Jesus' rule to all nations and telling the good news that Jesus' kingdom is being spread over all things and that Jesus is taking back all things from the curse of the fall, including people who repent and believe. And He's going to return and complete the establishment of His rule in a redone and sin-free created order where His people will have Eden regained and face-to-face fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit fully restored forever. Church, that's the message of the kingdom. That's the good news of the kingdom. That's our powerful message. As a matter of fact, we learn in Romans 1.16, that's the powerful message we are not ashamed of. This powerful message does supernatural thing. It regenerates without your help. Just be clear. When we tell this message, it doesn't need your help or embellishment. This powerful message is the power of God for salvation. This message regenerates. It brings to life what was dead from the curse. It transforms, it turns the lights on, it gives a new set of values, it gives a new framework of living, it transforms, it makes disciples. Jesus, right? John 3, Nicodemus, had to be born again. Nicodemus, blind, not getting it. Teacher of Israel, how can I crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus goes, you're a teacher in Israel and... You're not hearing? Nicodemus, as the wind blows, let me give you a picture. As the wind blows wherever it wants to, so it is with the Holy Spirit. So that when He does blow through a life, He brings to life, new birth, brings to life what was dead. Nicodemus, that's what I mean. That's what the gospel of the kingdom does. We're not ashamed of this good news of the kingdom because it's the power of God for salvation for anyone who repent and believe. And we use that language, repent and believe. We don't use unbiblical language. We don't ask Jesus into our heart. That's weird. 
it's not biblical language, and I don't want to be mean or rude, but that's not what we, need, we tell our children. Repent and believe, right? Asking Jesus in my heart is really weird for a concrete thinker. Little boys are like, how can he fit in my heart? He's God. I'm like, he can't. And for abstract guys like me, I can't see your heart. See, what happened was, I don't know what happened. Look, squirrel! And let's go do something. No, gee, we repent. There's a problem, son. problem is you're dead toward God. You see, if all it is is ask Jesus into my heart, we don't have to tell him you're dead toward God and God's angry at you because you're guilty of Adam and Eve's sin too. So, son, the necessary thing now, jolly boy is you have to repent. That is, you have to turn away from the rebellion. And if you don't understand you're guilty of the rebellion, then you're not ready. So I'm I'm not going to freak you out, because here's the problem. We've done bad evangelism, and our kids get 20 and need to get saved again and get rebaptized because we messed them up. I thought I asked Jesus into my heart. Well, obviously I didn't because I don't believe this. Or now I believe it now, and then they're all confused. Like, when did it happen? And Who knows? And there's a lot of us in this room who are in that boat, aren't we? Right? Because because we weird language, it's not biblical. Repent, so you need to repent. And you need to believe this message of the kingdom. And then we tell them the message of the kingdom. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Yes, I believe that. And I'm turning away. Excellent. Now you're a member of the kingdom. Now you're in. Now we can baptize you. Right? And so this message, it, it makes disciples. And if you tell that message, it's not hard to see when somebody believes. Right Now, if you don't do any evangelism, you're absolutely clueless. And if we're not doing evangelism, then we're not growing in discipleship. Right? But this message makes disciples. It makes followers of Jesus. So if this message makes disciples, what's a disciple? Right? Amen. This is a great question because Jesus tells us in the mission of the kingdom to make disciples. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. You should, this is probably a good scripture memory verse. If you don't know it by heart, turn there and let's, you, you can read along with me. I'm going to read it. You read silently. I'm going to read out loud. English Standard Version. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples... Make disciples of all nations. That's the mandate. That's the mission of the kingdom. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. In keeping with the mandate given in the Great Commission, a disciple is someone who's been made a disciple, who's been baptized, and is learning to obey everything Jesus taught. That's a disciple. Having been made a disciple. Through this proclamation of the good news of the kingdom, Jesus comes and does a powerful work through the verbal proclamation of the good news of the kingdom Jesus gathers disciples through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, through the proclaimed good news, and He takes dead people and brings them to life, and He gives them a new set of values by giving them a new set of desires, and He places His Holy Spirit in them. They are now alive when they were once dead. They are now a disciple. 
But Jesus says we must baptize them. Baptism is a post-conversion activity in which the transformation of the gospel is recognized by the community of the kingdom, the church, by entering into the water to be immersed and brought back up from the water, thus putting on display in public the death, burial, and resurrection that has made their salvation effective and the removal of their guilt and sin and the new life they have in Christ. That's why we baptize post-conversion. And then Jesus said, making disciples, you baptize them, then they are to learn to obey everything he taught. There's disciple-making happening right now. You have not arrived, neither have I. Because I haven't learned to obey everything he's taught. There's much Jesus said, I still try to worm my way out of. Therefore, I have not learned to obey everything he said. Meaning, I'm still being discipled by our other pastors, by the Holy Spirit, by his word, because I'm still rebellious. The baptized follower of Jesus Christ now begins the journey of life. Life begins at salvation. That's when this bad boy kicks into hyperdrive. This journey of life in the community of the kingdom. It's in the community of the kingdom. It's not outside. Christians don't live outside church fellowship. There's no such thing as a Christian disengaged from the church. That's evidence that they are not a Christian. That's evidence they're not transformed. They're not regenerate. They may have prayed a prayer, asked Jesus in their heart, but there's been no transformation take place in them. Otherwise, therefore, they're not saved. They're not a Christian. You can't be isolated from the community of the kingdom and be in the kingdom because when you're birthed into the kingdom, you are around, you gotta be around kingdom people. You obey the values of the kingdom. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not, I will build my small group. Small group is a manifestation of the mission of the church. We'll talk about that on the, when we talk about church. So life begins in the community of the kingdom. And as a student of the manual, the scriptures, in community, in the life of the church, private and public, working out the reality of my salvation and membership in the kingdom of God by engaging my domain that I live in and work in as salt and light with the powerful gospel among all nations. Make disciples, baptize them, learn to obey everything I have commanded you. What are some things that kill discipleship? What are some things that kill the work of making disciples? And just historically speaking, this, the things that kill this kind of discipleship are post-establishing of the church and the gaining of peace. Let me just throw this on you historically. The church does not do well in peace. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And God in His providential wisdom. You just do a study of church history. And if you do the perspectives course, you have an article on this by Ralph Winter. And so you can probably go Google this article. Ten epochs of, of redemptive history by Ralph Winter. And he just outlines church history in this glorious work of God where every time the church seems to get peaceful and established, they have a tendency to enculturate and get comfortable. And then, and then the gospel stops advancing. And God in His good mercy did great things. He sent the barbarians. And they invaded the Holy Roman Empire and the church went underground. And guess what happened? The barbarians got saved. 
And then the kingdom expanded to where the barbarians came from. So the kingdom expanded. And then the church enculturated and got comfortable and stopped being missional. The Vikings invaded. And Patrick and his men had to copy the scriptures to make sure that they were preserved. And the church went underground. And the Vikings got saved. And boom. And and then, 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 then we start moving toward the Reformation. And then we start moving toward the expansion of the good news to the new world. Because the church doesn't do well in peace. We see that in America. Just read any article on the advance of the kingdom of God, the church in North America, and kaput. Right? The church doesn't do well in peace. So we see these things, the killing of discipleship, really where we're at rest. Eh, you know, Jesus, yeah. Wear the t-shirt, got the cross, you know, tatted. Got tat- I'm really radical. If I got a tattoo of Jesus somewhere, right, I'm really following the Lord. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. What kills disciples? Because we don't see the killing of discipleship where the church is persecuted. We see the church flourishing. We're talking more about that when we talk about the church. What kills discipleship? Well, one, some things that kill discipleship in our context is seeing salvation as a result of a prayer prayed rather than a process of people being drawn to Christ through the proclamation of the good news. Because, see, if we make salvation very simply about a prayer prayed, then there's no impetus to do anything else. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. What else do I need to do? Rather than saying, you know what? You believe, you've repented of the rebellion. You believe the gospel. Now, Jesus told us that good trees bear good fruit. So persevere. Don't quit. Salvation is evidenced through not giving up, not not. Bowing down and going, no, I guess I'm in now. There's nothing else for me to do. Negative, Ghost Rider. The pattern is, is full. It is, we are to repent and believe and strive to enter the narrow gate. Did not Jesus say that? Strive to enter the narrow gate. Strive. In other words, you've you got to live this. You've got to breathe this. You've got to walk this. this. This isn't, it's not, it's not, he didn't winkle his nose when you prayed this prayer and then all of a sudden heaven bound, right? It's like, no, it's repent and believe, now bear fruit. Otherwise, John 15, the vine dresser will cast me out to be gathered and burned. There, there's, so we, we, we kill discipleship by making salvation a result of a prayer prayed rather than a process of people drawn to Christ through the proclamation of the good news and persevering in the gospel. You can't turn around on Jesus. This is why where the church is persecuted, people gladly go to prison. It's, it's a badge of honor to have served hard time in prison. If, I, I gave you a reading assignment like last year called The Insanity of God. It's a story of the persecuted church in Russia and, and China and, and South Asia. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand to see if you went and read that, read that book because you might be embarrassed. And then I would be discouraged. And I don't want to be discouraged this morning. But the, it is a badge of honor to persevere for Jesus, man. It's like people, matter of fact, if they don't get to go to prison, they're starting to feel bad. Like, what am I doing wrong? That's, that's weird for us. Because we've seen, well, I'm going to heaven, I'm good. I can just go back to ESPN. Right? Nothing wrong with ESPN. I love it. It's awesome. Except they're the evil network. CBS Sports better. But anyway. Um, <laughs> the, 
proclamation of the good news makes disciples, and it's a process of growing in Christ until he finishes our sanctification at death. We will have made it when we crawl into the grave. Number two, what kills discipleship in our context? Seeing discipleship as a transfer of information rather than hearing and obeying Jesus. Seeing discipleship as a transfer of data. Okay, I've had the systematic theology class. I'm now a mature follower of Jesus. No. You can have systematic theology. You can read Grudem 25 times, but if you don't do what you've learned, you are not yet following Jesus. It's not simply a transfer of data. It is obeying what you know. This is why in the East, the church doesn't consider Bible study complete until they've studied it, then they go practice it. We're content to have four Bible studies this week and do none of it. And if I've, dude, I'm obviously growing in the Lord because I go to a lot of Bible studies. If you don't do what you learned in Bible study one, you're not growing in the Lord. Discipleship is not transfer of, listen to this, if discipleship were simply a transfer of information, Paul would not have had to write Galatians to rebuke those who are walking away from the gospel. Track? You tracking with me? Why did Paul have to write Galatians? Because this gospel, this information, he transferred to them about the justifying work of Jesus Christ in their place for their sin, got replaced with circumcision. And Paul, in his typical greeting to churches, doesn't write back with grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you. You're sweet. I love our partnership in the gospel. It's morons. Like he starts out verse 1. Who bewitched you? He gets right to the point. If discipleship were simply transfer of data, why write Galatians? Because discipleship isn't a transfer of data, right? Discipleship is never mere transfer of data. It's not what you know alone. It is knowledge worked into action in the kingdom. Faith and Works, James, right? Working together. Faith without works is dead. The Galatians understood faith. They didn't understand staying true to the gospel. Let's add circumcision to Jesus. No. Another thing that kills discipleship in our context is thinking the kingdom advances through training and mobilizing pastors. The pastor's job is to equip saints. Just throw this down on you. Acts 8. The church never advances through the means of pastors. The church advances through the means of God's people taking the good news into every domain of society. You read Acts 8 carefully. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen, but the church was persecuted and scattered, and it says everywhere they went, they proclaimed this good news. They... Listen, do not, I don't want to hear it. Three Rivers Community Church never use the language laity. Laity is a term created in Christendom by the Catholic Church to distinguish priests from regular people. There are no regular people sitting in this room. Peter is clear. Read Peter. We are all a kingdom of priests. There's nothing special about me or your other eight pastors. Nothing special. We're simply obeying a desire in our heart to shepherd the people of God. You are gifted with the same Holy Spirit as we are. 
It is not our job to do the ministry. It is our job to teach you and equip you, pray for you as you enter domains of society to multiply, make disciples, and plant churches. We don't do that in the West. Church planting is a function of pastors. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. That's Christendom. The kingdom advances through the people of God, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in every domain of society and making disciples. That's growing as a disciple. Okay? Number four, what kills discipleship in our context, thinking discipleship is complicated and unattainable. It's not. It's just scary. I would rather pay a professional to do that for me and I show up twice a month and clap for them. And maybe drop 2% of my income in the plate in the back. Because after all, I can't live without cable. Or my cell phone. Because if I can't download the latest app, I'm not going to live. Right? No. It's not complicated. It's not unattainable. It's very simple. The kingdom advances. It's people of God. Tell the story. Good news. The kingdom in every domain of society. Make disciples. Plant churches. A move, we're talking movement status. We're not talking about things we can control. We're talking about things the Spirit of God does at a movement level. I'm going to give you some resources, a little bibliography in a couple of weeks for you to go read some crazy stuff about the church in the East. Where we need to be learning from. Fifth thing that kills discipleship in our context is thinking discipleship can be done outside of community. That discipleship is something you do maybe in front of your computer alone, spare time. Discipleship's done in community. It's done together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are never separated. Community is built on Trinitarian theology. Therefore, community is essential for us as image bearers of Trinity. So therefore, discipleship happens in community. It is not done isolated from the community. Discipleship can be messy because we have to test everything. Paul tells us, test everything. And I can't test it if I'm not around you and you're around me, Right? Make sense? Right? So, discipleship can be messy. It's not complicated. It takes work. Can't be done outside of community. Number six, thing that kills discipleship in our context is thinking discipleship can be done without personal transformation in the process. This is very akin to number two, but it's a little different. Discipleship is always accompanied by you being transformed and being grown into the image of Christ more. There is always an advancement. Often my walk with the Lord is one step forward, two back, but there's movement. (laughs) There's movement, right? Discipleship is not a static process. It is transforming the Lord Jesus, changing me and slowly taking away my sin, sometimes rapidly taking away sin. Same with you. Seventh thing that can kill discipleship in our context is thinking that discipleship is time-stamped. It's a time-stamped linear course that is completed upon the memorization of the information. In other words, do this course, and once you do this course, you're now a mature follower of Jesus. That is, that is not the way we need to think. Think about this for a second. Peter didn't arrive. Peter sinned by denying the Lord, and he was restored by the Lord. So we think, okay, Peter's set. The Lord's restored him. He's arrived, right? John 21, Peter's good. Well, we get to Galatians and we learn that Peter sinned in separating himself from the Gentiles 
when the Jews showed up and Paul had to rebuke him to his face, an apostle, Peter. Paul had to rebuke in the presence of all because he was leading people astray by hanging out with the Gentiles. And when the Jews showed up, pulling back from the Gentiles, I don't hang out with Gentiles, I'm clean. And, and Paul's going, Peter, what you're doing is not in step with this gospel. Because the gospel bridges socioeconomic, cultural barriers, it crosses that. Hang out with the Gentiles, eat the pork, and do it in the presence of the Jews. And proclaim, Jesus Christ crucified, cover my sin and yours. Right? So if Peter had arrived, there would be no reason for Paul to rebuke him, right? So don't think discipleship is a time-stamped, linear course that's completed upon memorization of information. It is a circular Growing in the Lord, taking a step back, being corrected, moving forward, being held accountable, walking in community. That's a little more in line with what we see in the text. Eighth and final thing, very quickly, that, that can kill discipleship in our context is thinking that discipleship can be done without the influence of all nations. The church that isolates itself from the Great Commission, proclaiming the gospel to all nations is not putting itself in a context to walk in discipleship because the reality is we have things we need to learn from the global church. We're not exporting the kingdom well. Church in the West is regressing. We're seeing some good things happen in the sense clear lines are being drawn on those who believe their Bible and those who don't. But we're finding that those who believe their Bible and actually read their Bible are smaller than we thought they were. That's a good thing. That's healthy. Because at least we know who we are. We need the global church. This always just breaks, breaks me up. But it's just a fact. And I hear this more and more. Read about it. Know about it personally. These guys over there who pastor these churches do so a year at a time with usually one page of, a, of, a, of an entire Bible. Handed out. It got smuggled in. And there's set... There, there's one Bible, so each of them take a page out. And then they rotate that page every other year. So some of them get a page out of Deuteronomy. It may just be like a half of a chapter moving to the next, but that's what they got, and they preach out of it. And Jesus advances the kingdom. We need to learn. If we applied a page of Deuteronomy, just did a page of Deuteronomy, we may see more advance of the kingdom here than we think we could see. We got whole Bibles. In multiple translations of English. And we don't even read them. Much less do them. We need to learn from the global church, don't we? There are things we need to learn. So you can't do discipleship isolated from the global church. Which is one of the reasons we believe in engaging unreached people groups. Proclaiming the gospel in places where it's never been. Sending our people. Getting involved. Seeing the church advance. Seeing the kingdom grow. Great stuff. The church is growing among our people group. I'm going to be going over in October and discipling a few pastors from our people group. Boom! Fired up. Fired up. Seeing movement in the kingdom. And I'm going to learn from them. I'm not crazy enough to think I have something to teach them. I'm going to be asking them lots of questions. Tell me how you're doing what you're doing. Thank you. I'm going to be learning. This meta-narrative of the gospel is key in understanding discipleship, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We're currently in this stage of redemption. God is reconciling all things to himself, including us as persons and us as a church. In Acts, we see this work of redemption and restoration worked out in the Holy Spirit being sent by Jesus to fill his individual followers and walk with them in relationship. 
We see this work of redemption in those disciples as they're enabled. Get together and bind into the church. And the church began to be diverse. Spanning cultures. And we see this work of redemption being worked out. And then the body of Christ began to affect every domain of society as they made disciples. Proclaimed the good news. And it led all the way to Rome. I love how we get to Acts 19 and there's a church in Ephesus. Because some disciples got there before Paul did. This working out of the work of redemption can be seen in three parts in the book of Acts. They're summed up like this. Up, in, and out. Up, in, and out. Up. Reconciliation between God and man making children who hear and obey. In, community of the kingdom is forged and bound by the indwelling Holy Spirit in each disciple. And then out, making disciples in one's domain of society that has global impact. What does this look like at Three Rivers Community Church? How do we make sense of this ethos of discipleship? We call this process of discipleship the radical life. You hear it. Mission statement. For the glory of God, build the church, local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. And to be clear, remember, radical does not equal tatted, green hair, or shaved head. Not at all. Radical is John 15. Radical means to arise from and be connected to a root source. We mean radical in the sense of we are abiding in Christ in its literal meaning. So we achieve this mission of God's glory in the building of the church because God is glorified when he makes disciples and they grow into the church. Glory of God build the church, local and global scale. How do we do this? By abiding in Christ, this radical life of up, in, and out. Communion, community, collision. If you had membership class, you know this. Or you've forgotten. If you hadn't had membership class, you need to get in. It's vital. Up, in, and out. Communion, community, collision. Communion, community, collision. Up. Communion. Jesus is the essence of transformation. Listen, church. The essence of us growing in Christ is the very essence of walking with Him on a daily basis. It's not a one-time encounter where we prayed some prayer or somebody prayed it for us. But the essence of our up, our communion with God is walking with Jesus. Jesus is the essence of transformation. Listen to Galatians 4, 4-7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent His the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir God, listen, Rivers Community Church, you are a son of the triune God or a daughter of the triune God of the universe. Jesus is the very essence of transformation. You have the privilege of walking with a father who is perfect, regardless of your experience on this earth, a good dad, bad dad, indifferent father, regardless. You have a perfect father who's adopted you into the family and he's put his spirit in you whereby your heart is changed so that he's no longer... God, where are you but Father? This is why you'll hear me right often. I use the word Father a lot because He's not just God distant. He's Dad. He's Dad. He's adopted me as a son. And so my relationship to the God of the universe isn't distant and cold. It's warm and near. Jesus is the very essence of our transformation. And so we walk in this up, this communion with God life. 
We've been reconciled to the Father. There's now peace between us and God. Jesus isn't looking to hit you with a two-by-four because what you did last summer. If you're in Christ, you have His righteousness. And He says, Son. We've been transformed from slaves to sons and daughters. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit as our built-in counselor, guide, and helper. And the great challenge often for us is learning to hear Him. And now we can hear and we can obey. So many stories. I love them. By the way, don't stop telling me these stories. You can email me. You can call me. Do whatever you want to do. I don't care. But I want to hear how you hear and obey. Because it's beautiful how you're hearing the Lord. You're following those prompts. And God is using them to minister to people, to save people, to draw people. It's wild. Why? Because you have a Father who's put His Counselor, Holy Spirit, in you, and He communicates to you. He counsels you. That's what Jesus called Him. He's our Counselor. And so the essence of transformation is walking with Jesus. We can hear Him and we can obey Him. So how do transformed followers of Jesus live in this life, this up, this communion with God life? Well, we learn to pay attention to righteous promptings deep in our soul. You know, always filter stuff out, right? If it's rebellion, if it's clearly breaking commandment, probably shouldn't do it, right? But if it's righteous, like it's in line, it passes the filter of the text. Listen to it. Maybe a righteous desire of your soul. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He puts in you the desires of your heart. So many people misread that in, in a Western context of, you know, Prosperity. The only problem is, if you, here, by the way, Bible study, if you can't apply it in a third world country, it's not true. If how you interpret it in the prosperous West can't be applied in South Asian slum, it's not true. Bible is, it's the belt of truth. Remember that Ephesians, meta-narrative, it's true everywhere. So if the man in the slum who believes in Jesus can't apply what I'm teaching, then I'm telling a lie. That's how you filter what you hear on the radio, what you hear on television. If the man whose daughter died at birth can't take what I'm saying and apply it, then I'm lying. Right? Righteous desire in my soul. God puts in you the desires of your heart. Not gives you what you want. That's how we want to hear that. But He puts in you desires of your heart. If you have a righteous desire, I, like, I want to serve people. Then serve people. God put that desire there. You're obeying the Lord. So pay attention to righteous desires in your soul. God put them there. Because I promise you, your flesh isn't capable of that. Neither is mine. I don't like people. In my flesh. You're like, how's he doing? He's, I'm a sinner. I'm an introvert. I've been hurt by people. I spent six years of my life as a child abused. I don't trust people. And for me to love people is a work of God, not this flesh. So if there's a desire to love somebody who's unlovable, it didn't happen because I'm good. It happened because God put that desire. If you've got a righteous longing in your soul, obey it. Jesus put it there. Okay? Maybe those thoughts that are louder than thoughts, but maybe not quite audible, could be the Lord. The audible voice of the Holy Spirit. Some people hear the Lord audibly, and by all means, obey if it's righteous and holy and good and in line with Scripture. A prophetic word from a brother or sister in the Lord, tested and found to be right. Consistent and disciplined study of the Bible. I would argue with you, God's supernatural and does these supernatural things. But I would also argue, and this is, this is he will not speak inconsistent with his truth, his word. I put a link on the blog and you can go read the study from Christianity Today. 
Statistics are continuing to show that very few people in the evangelical world are consistently reading Scripture. And thus, there's a famine of the knowledge of God in the West. Listen to this. 45% of those surveyed, you can go read the survey. 45% of those surveyed, you can follow the link, just click it. It'll hyper you all the way over to it. All right? So that's why I put a link there. So you all you get to just click it. You don't have to go search for it. Just click the link. Made it easy. Click it. Click. 45% of those surveyed say they read the Bible more than once a week. That's the high end, y'all. 45% say they read it once a week. Just Listen, you know we're not legalists around here. The law is love God, love neighbor. That's the summary of all the law. We know that. Jesus said that. So whatever it fits in love God, love neighbor, go for it. Okay? If you're reading your Bible once a week, you're not growing in the Lord. Just be clear. Just be clear. This is where it gets bad. One in five say they never read their Bible. What we've done is we've gone back to ground we took in the Reformation. Now, rather than having a pope recognized by the church, we have Protestant popes, and we depend on them once a week to tell me what I'm supposed to know, and beyond that, I don't have to read it for myself. So as long as I hear it from Jolly twice a month, I'm good. Or when Pilgrim's preaching, if I show up because he's a really good communicator, then I'm good for a month. No. 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 We're all priests of the Lord. Listen, guys. You're going to hear from the Lord as you read your Bible. You know what Mueller said, my hero? He's known for his praying. You know what he said about praying? Praying came second. If I start praying when I get up in the morning, I go to sleep. How many of us know that, right? So he says, I start to open my Bible and my praying flows from the text as I read God's Word. He teaches me what to pray. So start with the manual. If your prayer life's struggling, it's because you're not in the manual. You don't know what to pray for. Prayer is not a tool to get what we want. It's a vehicle by which we get the kingdom brought. And we only pray for what we're taught in the kingdom to pray for. And how do you know what to pray for if you're not in the book of the kingdom? Listen, th- listen, church. We have to be people of the word. And that has to be more than lip service. We can't talk inerrancy. We've got to live it. Amen. If it's in the manual, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Right? How to transform followers of Jesus? Obey Jesus by simply doing what He says, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the circumstance. Doing what Jesus said is not a guarantee that it's all going to work out for my good. It got Paul beheaded. John put on the Isle of Patmos. We sang a song, He is no fool. Jim Elliot killed by the Wadani in South America. Obeying Jesus might get you killed, but he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can't lose. We live for a set of values deeper than this right here. We live for a coming kingdom that is now and is coming in power later. We live to be raised to life and inherit life then and inherit our reward then. Sometimes we don't get immediate results. Sometimes it's obey and trust the Lord to work out that I was just obedient. And I didn't see anything tangible that came from it. But trust that it's written down and God and His good providence will work it out. But we hear and we obey. In community. Community is the context for transformation. I'm not going to read these passages because I hurry up. Ephesians 2, 19-22. Because as Jim said, we preach through Ephesians, right? 
Community is the context for transformation. It is in the context of community that our discipleship really begins to flourish. We're citizens and saints and members of the household of God, Ephesians tells us. And therefore, community is the place where transformation takes place. Ed Stetzer says it like this, There is a church because there is a mission, not the other way around. There is a church because there is a mission, not the other way around. We have a tendency to think there's a mission. We have a tendency to think there's a church, so God's just giving us something to do. No, no, no. There's a church because there's a mission. And the mission is Genesis 12. We don't have time to do the meta narrative, right? But we, Genesis 12, all nations, Abraham, I'm going to bless all people through you. From there, redemption has been setting out and Jesus is going to make disciples of all these nations so that I can fulfill my promise to Abraham. And so there's a mission that Jesus would be known among all peoples. And so He created a church. So therefore, discipleship has to happen in the fellowship of the kingdom, y'all. There is a famine of good ecclesiology in the West, too. There's a famine of good ecclesiology in Rome, Georgia. It's ugly. There's a lot of people who saw call themselves followers of Jesus Christ and engage no body of Christ consistently. That's sin. It's sin. The church exists to do the mission of God. If we're engaged in the life of the church, covenanted to one another. I haven't put down here in the notes. I'm going to take time to go through it because it's a sermon in and of itself. Why biblically membership in a congregation is essential for your discipleship? It's all over the text of Scripture. You should go look at the blog and go read that stuff. We have to be connected to the church to do the mission. If you're not connected to the church, I guarantee you, you're not doing the mission. I will build my church, not I will build my small group. The values of the West kill the church. The values of the West continue to superimpose themselves on top of the kingdom. And we buy the values of the West, not the values of the kingdom. And what's the first thing to go? Church engagement. My kids got travel ball. I got a dog in a dog show. Got to have a second job because I got to pay for all my crap. And what do we do? We don't engage in the life of the church. Why? Because it's, it's negotiable. It's, as long as I watch podcasts, I'm good. No. That is not the value of God's kingdom. That's hard. We don't want to hear that in Rome, Georgia. But that's a fact, y'all. That's why the church in Rome, Georgia is struggling. It's because there's very few that are actually doing it. There's good gospel preaching churches here. Don't hear that. Don't hear us being arrogant. We are not on top of that list. There's good Bible preaching, gospel loving congregations in this town. I know there are. I know they're pastors. They're our friends. But that's not the problem. The problem is the people outside who don't think it's necessary. Engagement in life of the church is essential. And I've got other points, but I've got to hurry. Then... The last part of the radical life is out, out, up, communion with God, Jesus is the essence of transformation, in, community, church is the context of transformation, out, collision, serving one's domain is the catalyst for transformation, serving one's domain is the catalyst for transformation. 2 Corinthians five seventeen to 21, if anyone's in Christ, it's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this, and I got this italicized and underlined so you can't miss it. All this is from God, so it comes from God, who through, through Christ, in other words, through Jesus, not through other 
means through Jesus, not, not other religions because they're false through Jesus. This is why God talk is dangerous in the West. That's why we've got to talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus because God can be Buddha, it could be Vishnu, it could be Allah in the West. It just is. That's why our government says God, not Jesus. Because if they say Jesus, then who they just hack off? Everybody else. Be careful with God talk because unless you define who God is, God talk can be dangerous. I promise you, try this. Go make friends with the guys at the mosque and just have God talk. It's possible. Some of us do it. But then take the God talk to Jesus. Uh-oh. Because when we define God as the eternal second person of the Trinity, Gulf. Now that doesn't mean we walk away. We still work because there's they're wrong. They've been lied to. But through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given a ministry and this ministry of reconciling people back to God. Through Christ. You see that? Just walk through the text backward, right? Our ministry, your ministry, my ministry is to reconcile people back to God through Christ. Why? Because we have been made new creatures. We're new creatures, different, chains, we're in the kingdom. Now our ministry is to reconcile people who are in the kingdom back to the God of the kingdom through Jesus. That doesn't get any clearer. See it? Ministry of reconciliation. Well, what is that? That is, oh, see the text answered my question. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You, you could just repeat that to a non-Christian, and the Spirit may just rip them out of the kingdom of darkness. There's, there's gospel in that, is there not? That's good news. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You're an ambassador. I'm an ambassador. God making His appeal through us. God speaking through you to people who need to know. Isn't that awesome? That when you speak this, God, God's voice is speaking through your vocal cords to unregenerate believers, bringing them to life. What a great ministry you have. Isn't that awesome? You should be excited. It's like you have a supernatural task empowered by a supernatural God that will pull it off for you. Yeah. And then he ends it up with, for our sake, great summary. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Go tell that. Father's given us this message. He's given us a message of reconciliation. It's a message to the world. So the whole church is globally relevant. You're relevant locally. You're relevant globally. Engage. Engage. You're all ambassadors. You're all priests to God. And so Father's mission demands His values come into transformational collision with the values of the curse. So we're going to expect collision. That's why we call it collision. Not to be confront confrontational, but just that our expectation is in line. That if we take the values of the kingdom, they will be rejected. But the powerful gospel overcomes that. That's why the gospel is the power, is the power of God for salvation. Not my apologetics. This good news of the kingdom. It will overcome the rejection. It will overcome the collision. But expect it to be a collision. So in conclusion... Discipleship, we see that as radical life, connected to Jesus, up in and out. Communion, community, collision. Live like that, and you will live in a cycle of discipleship of growing in Christ that will be an adventure, 
but joy for yourself and for others who do it with you so that we can love Jesus together, communally, locally, globally, and make disciples along with us along the way. So as we wrap up, disciples of Jesus Christ worship Jesus. He is our reward and He is our goal. And so why do we come to the end of every service and sing songs of worship? It's because that's what disciples do. Psalm 147, 1. Has anybody got this memorized yet? Praise the Lord! Exclamation mark. So we've got to yell it. It's not praise the Lord. Praise the Lord! For it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. It's only fitting that disciples worship. So let's do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to be big in our midst. We ask you to do a work in our midst. We ask you to... We ask you to energize your people. Holy Spirit, cause us to take delight in you. Cause these disciples of yours to follow you and to love you and to sing to you and delight in you. Zephaniah 3.17 is true. You are a mighty warrior. You delight over your people. You shout over your people. May we shout back to you the truth of who you are and our delight in you. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's some who have maybe not yet been awakened to life, and maybe this morning you did a work of grace in their heart. They heard the good news of the kingdom and regeneration has taken place. I ask that you would counsel them, Holy Spirit, to that next step. Pray, Father, that you would give them understanding and what to do. I pray that you would grow them in the faith, get them inside the body, get them a Bible, help us to get them a Bible, and to walk with them in following Jesus. We pray you do all those things this morning. We're your people. Lead us well, counsel us well, and help us to respond well in Jesus' name.